I'll put the hard question out there then and and then I'll give you my opinion. So the question I would pose would be, are we going to see an increasing shift from channel sales to direct selling by traditional vendors? Welcome to the Software Channel Partner Podcast, where you'll hear leaders of partner programs talk about their greatest challenges and most successful solutions. And now your host, Louis Gadima, the president of Revenue and Associates. Welcome to the Software Channel Partner Podcast, where we talk with leaders in software partner programs to learn about what's working today. I'm Louis Gadima, the president of Revenue and Associates, where we help companies grow faster by enabling their channel partners to market better and grow faster. Today, I'm talking with Ian Moyes, EMEA Sales Director for Natterbox. Ian was the Sales Director for Rackspace's UK New Business Sales Team and has had key channel roles at NetIQ, WebRoot, and other companies. And Ian has served as a board member to many companies. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Louis, good, good to be here today. Hope, hope I can add some value to your listeners. I'm sure you will. Just before we get started, I, I noticed that you recently tweeted about the Ancestry DNA test. Did you have that done? <laughs> Crikey, you're, mo- you're monitoring it. That's an interesting specific. I've d- in fact, I've, I've done uh, the Ancestry piece before in a different way where you pay a company to do it. So I, I had that done as a present uh, from my parents a long time ago of the whole history. And there was there was nothing horrific in there, uh, good to know, but there was lots of interesting stories that came out about. So I'd invite uh, invite anyone to get that done because it's often uh, very intriguing of uh, where your family truly came from. Yeah, I had that done through Ancestry also. There's other services that do it too. I was very disappointed to find absolutely nothing of surprise. <laughs> no good stories that were lurking in our in our past that we didn't know about. So please tell me about your career path and what brought you to where you are today uh, in your channel work. Sure, I'll do it quite succinctly so we can get uh, into some meat of value for the listeners. Um, I uh, fell into computing early on by seeing one of the old 1K computers when they came out, was hooked, ended up then everything on programming, ended up at IBM being a programmer analyst. And in a, a couple of years into that, left to do sales and, and purely because I saw salespeople out there who at that time, I had I, my, my opinion was I knew better. I, I understand this stuff, but they're earning a lot more than I am. So and they've got the big mobile phone. It was a brick at the time and a car and all the rest of it. So I went I went to the shiny side inside sales, very quickly promoted to external sales. And it happened to be in channel. It wasn't that I knew what channel or direct sales or the difference was at that time. It just happened that the first job I found was in Novell distribution for many years ago. Novell at the time when it was a 95 percent market leader globally on local area network networking. And I and that's how I got into channel. And it was all I knew. So I, I was in channel up until about six or seven years ago throughout my career. I've spent 20 plus years in channel building channels, as you've described, with different companies and then being one tier, two tier. So I've worked at, at the multiple tiers, reseller, distributor, and vendor, and seen all the mix. So I've got a fairly good understanding of all the different VARs, OEM type relationships from from varying different sides of the coin. Well, it's interesting what you say about Novell. Things do change. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they were the, uh, the huge, huge leader in, in networking 25, 30 years ago. And now, of course, they don't exist at all. Yeah. So... The channel, you've written about this too, how the channel 
or rather the cloud has morphed over the last 20 plus years. And Larry Ellison at Oracle was talking about really cloud computers in the 90s. But you've talked about how ASP came and went, application service provider and other models. How have you seen that over the 20 plus years? How have you seen that evolution and and how has that affected the channel as each of these phases has kind of come and, and gone? Yeah, you're right. And to context that, I, I've lived the change. I know I've worked now in cloud in the cloud sector, cloud computing sector, for the last 13, maybe approaching 14 years. Initially, when I moved into that, I did that through channel. So I helped build channels for cloud and understanding the difference. So I bridged from being in a channel traditional product model into channel uh, cloud and uh, and for the last five or six of my 13 years in cloud I've been in uh, running direct sales teams in cloud so I've got the view and I've also transitioned myself because I could see some challenges coming and and etc so let's let's maybe talk and I've written papers on this when I tried to um, help channels transition and understand that so let's maybe talk through a few of those bits in summary so I, I think we need to go back to how it used to be Uh, and the value of the channel and the key values that were there. And if you think about it, the vendor typically held a relationship with distributors and sometimes the key resellers. The distributor was mainly resellers, sometimes end user support. Um, And sometimes the vendor would engage the end user with the reseller where, where it was a big opportunity. But in general, it was vendors would sell to distributors, distributors would sell to resellers and resellers would sell to the end end customer, the end business. And the key values that the channel, the, the, the reseller level had in bridging the gap between the channel and the end user were things like the, the breadth of product they could hold and sell, i.e. as a reseller to have a credit line with every vendor, if they would even allow you to do it, would have been messy and complex. And you would have been a small fry, right? If you were a customer buying some servers from HP and four servers, the technology and the models then would not have made that a cost efficient model for anyone involved. If you were, you know, HP to sell to you in whichever country and locale you're in, they wouldn't have been around the corner from you, whereas you would typically have had a reseller that was fairly local to you. So therefore, location came into it as well. That Somewhere in your county or your state, if it was the US, you would have a partner who you had a relationship with. They were local to you. So relationship, locality, and they could sell you a breadth of products. So you only needed one credit line. And often they'd carry stock. So on the key products, they might have stock of things for you. So the, the whole operation and those were the value propositions that made sense. And they would come and install the product for you and maintain and be your maintenance partner who could easily, if something wasn't quite working, come by and help you or replace a product to install something. And, and that was the model we were in. And it worked for a great many years. And it worked because the nature of the products were physical. The software came on a CD. Uh, it used to be discs, right? You may remember where you, you get a bit mm-hmm. of software. It was on 72, you know, five and a quarter inch floppies or whatever. But it was a physicality to things. And for me, running channels at that point, you know, what did I look for in resellers? It was at, at top level. It was one of a combination of four things. It was did they have geographical advantage to me? There was a region there where they, they served that region and they were well known in that region. Therefore, they could be my conduit to customers in that region. What relationships did they have? Because it was a lot easier than as a 
whether you be a distributor or vendor, how are you going to start a relationship from scratch? Much easier to have an agent who had relationships already and could leverage those for you. I also looked at what vertical expertise they might have. Maybe they specialize in legal firms. Therefore, they could be a good partner for you because they understood the terminology and the processes as well as having the relationships. And the other thing I looked at is what integrations could they aid? If I was a distributor or vendor with a technology, that technology didn't work in isolation. And did we have the skills and, uh, to be able to install that and configure it with Citrix or with novellas we mentioned, et cetera? If you had a reseller who actually sells multiple of those products, they could complement your product with the value they had in technical expertise in these other products in bringing them together for customers in, in installing them and knowing which patches to apply and how to integrate the two together using ODBC drivers and all that stuff as the world was. So, so you're saying that when when this was more of a physical industry, going through distributors to the partners was the way that most of it was done. Although today I hear when I interview people on the podcast, quite a lot of companies, they may be using distributors, but they also have sometimes thousands of direct relationships with partners. Yeah. And, and so things have changed. right? So that, that's where we where we if you look back at the, the baseline, I guess, where the industry developed, that's sort of how it worked and it made sense. What we've seen, though, is technology changing. What needs to change? And the changes are coming, if you think about it, from the end customer attitude of buying and their expectations. And they're coming from the value proposition that's offered through the channel. So let, let me throw some things out there. So in cloud, what's different? Well, there's no stock needed, right? There's no physicality of a here's a CD or here's a bit of hardware because all you really need in the majority. And I'll talk gen gen generally. There are there are variances in edge cases, of course, but is a web browser. If you can log into a web browser, you can provision platforms on AWS and Azure and, and spin up servers and then dump software onto it all from within your PC as you've got. If it's software as a service, you can just spin up a login, often with just a credit card and be up and running within seconds. So there's no physicality of anything to move around or in, usually there's nothing to even install. Sometimes there might be a plug in to your PC or to your browser. But reality is that that part of stockholding and spare parts and all that in the, is, is gone. Credit line. It used to be also that resellers, and I missed that out when I discussed second, would, would offer a credit line to the customer and buffer that back up the channel. Because if you put a product on site, having a reseller ha would basically carry the credit risk. That was one of the values that if something happened and the customer didn't pay or went out of business, there was a protection sort of line to the vendor at the, the back end that you're not having to deal with credit lines of you know, the, the breadth of every customer out there, which was just too broad across the globe. With cloud, with a credit line, that changes because customer doesn't pay. Like Netflix, right? If you don't pay, the service gets suspended. So your, your risk factor is, is minimized that you haven't sold something out there that you've got to chase collection on because you've got a level of control of suspending access to the service. You don't pay, you don't get access. Installation's well, and, gone. Oh, go on. And, and those subscription fees are sort of like the monthly fees you might have paid on something that you had on credit in the past. Yeah. So you're really paying for it over time, and the time is as long as you use it. Exactly. But you've also got that debt control piece that if the customer doesn't pay, you can do something about it. Whereas previously on product, once it's on site, you can't go back in there and take the product away. You just couldn't. So it changes the dynamic. Installation. What installation is that with a cloud service? You know, you can spin up a service 
within seconds, perhaps a marketing service of which there are many out there. Marketing will sign up on a credit card with their own budget and be up and running and be able to load data in and start doing stuff this afternoon. There is no I've got to buy a server, deploy it. That's all handled as part of the underlying piece of, of a SaaS service, for example. Maintenance. Well, there's no maintenance for someone to go on site for anymore for cloud services. You may maintain their local PCs and, and printers, etc. But the core services that used to be server based, really think about Office 365. Maintenance is based in it and baked in and it's delivered by the vendor. There's nothing for you to do and go on site and upgrade the server or have a backup. So it's all handled as part of the inherent cloud service. You know, and then you start questioning the values that I described. Is location as important anymore? Is a cloud services, uh, and, and I work in the, in the cloud vendor world now selling direct, we'll sell to customers around the globe, often large transactions having never met the customer. You've done it over the phone and you've done it over the web. So yes, you've spoken to them and where it's large, yeah, you may have met them, but often we're transacting large hundreds of thousands of dollars or pounds transactions having never physically met the client. So the value of having a reseller locally is in question. You know, is it really as valued in the cloud world as it was before? But there are still value adds uh, in the in the cloud world for a channel partner. Think about well, config. Go on. Well, you've got a, a very different buying uh, experience on the side of the customer, too, because mm. everything in the past used to go through IT. And yep. now you, you now you have every department may do a, an end run around IT and buy its own solutions. You know, HR will buy the HR uh, SaaS software and marketing will buy, will buy its MarTech software. Mm-hmm. And they may have to get some sign off from IT or they may have to get some cooperation from IT if they need to integrate with a, an enterprise database. But quite a lot of this now is a totally different buyer than who the partner was working with in the past. Very good point. And shadow IT, as you describe, absolutely we see that where different departments who have their budget can spin something up. And it, and it's really a question of the company's policies, whether IT is even involved, whether they know the transaction's gone on, which has a security implication, of course, for the business. So I'd advise IT should be involved as, as part of it. But you're right, the line of business owner with a budget is now capable very much to not only spin up a, a SaaS application, but to a degree to spin up a server with AWS or Azure fairly easily and in a way that enables them to pay monthly or, or with some of the platforms we now say compute down to the second billing. So that yes. the, world has cha- the world's changed. So all these changes have happened and it's affected the vendors and it's affected you know the partners and the customers. Mm. How- so how well do you think partners have adapted? What, what are the biggest challenges? It's kind of whiplash. And I know when I talk to other vendors that they say uh, some legacy partners have, ha, are challenged to deal with this mm. new world. How, in your experience, and you, you not only uh, do your work at, at Natterbox, and, and I do want to ask you, uh, and I should have at the beginning, to tell people what Natterbox does, what sure. it is, but how do companies, how do vendors successfully enable their partners to be successful when this rate of change is so rapid and, and complete? So, so I've seen the struggle and I lived it, right? I, I was in a in, multi, in channel businesses trying to uh, recruit ch- channel partners, which was, my, which was my status quo mantra, so to speak. That was all I knew. 
to resell cloud and, and it's hard and it was hard back in 2011 2012 when I when I was pushing this and wrote a, a whole series of white papers on this of all the challenges and and went around educating around Europe and, and also in the US in keynote speaking of these are the challenges the problem is the resellers who didn't come to those sessions are the ones that needed it but the ones who came were trying to figure out how do I how do I step across the chasm and it is a chasm it is not an easy thing to transition and one of the foundations I always said to people is how you reward your sales people and, and your line of business, your own line of business processes. Because if you've got it, here's the option, Mr. Salesperson, you can sell this sale here, which is all up front and your commission plan pays you up front on for £150,000. Or you can go cloud and the initial transaction, I'm making the numbers up, of course, is £20,000. But you've got annuity year on year or month on month, however it's structured. But how are you paying them? And if you're paying them on the initial transaction, straight away you're flawed. You're and so that was the big one I said to research. You've got to look at is your commission plans are not structured around a subscription model. And salespeople will absolutely have a driver to how they are gold. And then, you know, they've got a mortgage to pay. They've got a, a bills to pay. And if they see, well, if I sell, this might be right for the customer, but I earn a tenth of the amount, as an example, guess where their focus is going to be? And cloud at that point needed more selling and, and had more challenges of security adoption and questions from customers. You know, we're, we're in a more mature world now, having moved on a number of years where a lot of customers are cloud committed. They've got multiple cloud systems in place and any project they go through, they will look at the options, including cloud options. And that's what back then I was portraying of you need to consider cloud in every project. It may not be right or appropriate and you may go private cloud or you may go on network, but at least consider it now in, in, in the age we're in 20, 2019 approaching 2020. I think we see much more maturity in the customer where they always will look at cloud. But the challenge is still there for the reseller. And exactly what you said, I saw a lot of legacy resellers struggled. And the, and the challenge, is, and I, I appreciate the challenge is what happens if your customer goes cloud to you as a company? The billing profile is different, right? It's a longer term, a cloud model and the annuity and the longevity of the contract and the repeat transactions are better for your business. Short term, it's a pain. And I live this and I, I, when I when I speak at events, I've had uh, a good friend of mine who runs a reseller. He's, he founded his own reseller many years ago in the software world, in the net IQ technology world. Those days when I was, uh, was around that space and he's still the CEO today. And today they are a pure cloud reseller and they focus on Google Compute. And they've now actually got to a point where they've engineered some of their own applications on Google. So they own their own IP. And when he talks and he, he's got a beautiful story of I tried to transition and, and do both. Put, you know, I was a product reseller, put my feet in the cloud camp and do both. And I found, you know what, I don't think we're going to get there. So he took he risked his whole business for a two year period where he only commissioned salespeople on the cloud side and said, look, we have to I can see where we need to get to and I need to force this. I'm going to go the hard way and, and so he he talks it guys this is hard you really need to commit to transition to cloud however he then he, he gives it more story than i'm giving but he talks importantly about the other side what he's seen in his business since he made it he said he risked his business he could have you know and it was hard for two years they went backwards before they went forwards but now they're more profitable 
they can see where they are for the next three, four, five years based on the contracts they've already got with the longevity. It's more fun, but all his business metrics are more predictable and more successful. But it was hard. But it was hard. Yeah, that recurring revenue is a, a wonderful thing to have. But did he have to give or do companies, do partners typically have to give their salespeople a, a bigger base for a while to tide them over from that product sale commission to the cloud? Well, what he did was put commission plans in place around cloud that were incredibly attractive, but cost him as a business. They cost him as a business. There's no question. He's very open about that. That Was he paying over the odds during that transition? Yes. Because his view was, what we don't want to do, we've got good salespeople, but we, they, they've not experienced in selling cloud, but I need to get there. I can see the metrics for my business, why we need to do this. So I need to support them to do it. I can't just say to them, just sell cloud. I have to incent them. And he did that. He rewarded them financially and incented them for what was going to be a hard transition. And as it turned out, he talks it, it took him two years to tip the chasm between being where he was and being what you could consider a truly cloud reseller where the revenues were paying for the costs. He had to front load more of the commission yeah. than, than the actual payments from the customers for those cloud yep. uh, services would. Yeah. What I'm going to say now is what he's ended up with is a more successful business. And he also talks about he carried most of his salespeople came across with him. He lost a couple in that transition, but most of them are still with him today. And he's in a much more successful, stable place where he can predict where he's going to be in three or four years, which in the old product world, you had to resell it every year. Right. He kn- he pretty much knows next year he's going to even if he stopped selling and, and turned his salespeople off, he'd be in the same place he is now, if not growth from the customers he's got. That's a really attractive place to be. Yeah, absolutely. I um, I used to own a marketing agency and we were project to project. And then we transitioned to a SaaS service before it was called SaaS. And specifically because I wanted that recurring revenue model, I didn't want to have to wait for the phone to ring. And sometimes when the economy wasn't very good, the, the phone stopped ringing. But that recurring revenue kept going all the time. And so it's a, it's a wonderful thing to have. Let's step back now for a second. And why don't you tell people what Natterbox is and, and what you do? Sure. So Natterbox, we are a SaaS telecoms provider so we are we own our own SaaS ip and we're also a registered telco around the globe and what we've built and delivered now we're in our 10th year is the most integrated telephony platform for salesforce so we're very focused on that market and building out value around the salesforce ecosystem which i think is interesting we'll we'll maybe touch on in a second interesting how they've gone to market and and their what their channel looks like so yeah so that's what we do and we sell direct we do have a number of specialist partners, but not the traditional reseller model you, you would expect. We have partners who have OEM parts of our technology into their platform, and we work with Salesforce partners who implement Salesforce, but do not resell our technology. They're implementation partners with a relationship with customers. So a very different channel than, than I spoke about I was involved with many years ago. Okay. And you're on a number of boards and advisory boards. Is, sure. uh, is that to help companies with this uh, transition to the cloud? Uh, well, it, to offer a different value, you know, we've all had different experiences across our career. So I've done direct, indirect. Where my value comes from now for a lot of these uh, industry bodies that, and, and companies that I'm involved with is my experience of cloud, selling clouds, both direct and indirect. 
and the challenges of cloud sales teams and getting to customers. So that, that's sort of my value. I, I, you know, I talk a lot around social selling and personal branding and events. So it, it's I, I bring a mix of advice to these companies. And they're typically high growth companies in the cloud sector. And so for Natterbox, is you were saying you have a very particular approach to channel and, mm. and it sounds like technology partners. It's partners, you know, I, I haven't, and it would have been very easy for me here and also in my previous role at a CRM vendor um, workbooks where it was a cloud um, SaaS offering. It, I could have fallen back into my old pattern, right, which is go and recruit chan- normal channel resellers and try and sell. But the world's changing. And in, in the cloud model, what I've seen, having come from the channel model, is um, it's very easy if you've got a a, a, lead, a, a very strong technology platform um, to sell direct globally very quickly. And the challenge with with with, with resellers and, and the pros I've talked about, but the challenge is you've got to bring them up to speed and they're not just going to sell your product. And what I'm involved in now is very complex business process type products, which aren't um, simple for a reseller to adapt and adopt and natterbox we sell in the, we sell only to salesforce customers and guess what salesforce sells direct salesforce doesn't sell and license their platform through a reseller channel their channel they've gone to model with market with is implementation partners and that's where there's value right where as a as a cloud vendor you license the technology to a customer but the customer in complex technologies like ours where it's business processes needs to configure it and build workflows out around their own business do you want the vendor to do that directly or do you want someone more local where you've got a partnership and understands your perhaps your vertical and understands your business and partners with you so we often work with salesforce partners who have implemented salesforce for a customer and understand their workflows and their and their nature of their business and how they've implemented as you described their martech and can integrate our telephony amongst their Pardo, for example, and their Salesforce and brings it in and integrates it and builds the workflows out to combine those platforms. And that is an added value that makes sense. So does Netterbox uh, focus primarily on Global 2000 or uh, SMB also, or where? what level are you selling at? Well, we, we sell all right across SMB, mid-market and, and enterprise. We've got global customers who use us uh, across, eight, you know, we've got one that uses across 28 countries, another one, 14 countries, just rattling them off. So we have big brand names who use us across the globe. And we also have a lo- local company who use us for 20 users for a phone system. The key being, if they've invested in Salesforce, the more they've invested in Salesforce as their core data platform for the business, the more they will get value from us because we put all we, we basically say, right, all your telephony data now becomes a core part of that platform and it's one data repository. So in Salesforce, you have your customer data, you perhaps have your transactions, you have your MarTech data around your touch points. You now have your telephony data as part of the same data set. So you now have a, more of a 360 view. That's where we fit. So where that fits, we're the right technology for that customer. So we were talking earlier about how technology sales used to go through IT, but now you a lot of technology is sold to departments with IT just uh, perhaps involved uh, somewhat, but, but not centrally. This sounds like, Natterbox sounds like something that might be sold to the sales department, sales ops, but at the same time, you're talking about a, a telephony system and that's a, an IT thing. Mm-hmm. So... 
who do you sell to? Good, good question. Absolutely. We're a prime example for that. And, we, and it's all of the above and more. So we will often engage with who will be the lead engagement with us. Sometimes it will be a head of sales, sales director, sales VP, because they want to improve their sales engagement. They, they may have a need for they want to, you know, the world's changed. They can't get hold of as many people. So they may you know, be looking for how do we get more customer connects in a day? And we've done that recently for a customer. We increase their customer connects by just under 30 percent by doing one thing that our technology allows. So their cold calls success rate has gone up, for example. It may be the marketing director who's looking to more closed loop, know what goes on, because the challenge for them is they'll do an event. They'll run a billboard advert, depending on the nature of the business. They'll do something marketing spend wise. But customer calls that come in, guess what? They're reliant totally on the sales rep asking, where did you first come across this and log it against the campaign? We can do some clever things that will close loop that. So if a customer calls in before the rep even answers the phone, we can tie it to the right campaign. We know what campaign created that phone call? So MarTech, customer experience leader, right? You want to improve your customer journey when they inbound to you. We can improve the customer journey, personalize the phone call. Wouldn't it be great if you call a business and it says, hi, Ian, we detect uh, we didn't call you back on your open support case yesterday. If that's what you're calling about, press one. If not, press two for everything else. Straight away, my customer experience has gone up because the phone system has personalized and shortened my phone journey the same as you do with websites. So we see that side of the business. We also do get involved technical people leading the project where they've been tasked with improving the quality of the phone system and they're involving in that project, perhaps sales, marketing, customer experience, and also service and support directors get involved because they're looking to improve the customer's experience when they get support and also improve the agent's experience. How do, how do I get my agent more effective to close a service ticket first call resolution how do i improve the number of first call resolutions so we have a plethora of different techniques and technology and processes in our system that help all of those areas and technology being the underpinning piece yes it gets involved and often it gets involved because of what we're doing because remember what we're doing is bridging a software as a service application sat inside salesforce but also with the telephony and the telephony bit is often historically a customer will either have a platform so they may have um, a PBX, a Via, Mitel, Cisco out there and don't want to replace it. You know, they may have a heavy investment in that and a support team with experts. We can do all we do over the top of those platforms. So their questions become lots of questions around how do we integrate? How do you sit on this platform? Do I need to reconfigure anything? Do you is there any limitations? So IT often gets involved at some point, whether They've led the project. They've bought, bought in by the line of business owner or we've we've suggested you should have IT involved in this to validate and make sure you're comfortable with what we're delivering and the level of security we provide, which we know they will be. But it, it's having that engagement during the process so that it makes it an easy adoption for the customer. So all the above, as you described. And your sales is direct. It is. So so that's uh, pretty complex. Do you ha how do then? Do you enable your implementation partners? So we, we work them at, with, uh, with them at different degrees and, and of different types. So it can be as simple as we're doing the telephony piece. And, and that bit, we tend to own the, the telco piece because you ne really need that expertise. And we've got the, ex the, the experts in our teams to provide that. But it's the Salesforce side. It's bridging Salesforce with Natabox 
uh, often what the customer wants to achieve will be a workflow or a process that takes a folk for example let me give an easy example you have a website where a customer fills in a form and it comes into salesforce often what they want to do is do things like instigate an immediate phone call from that to the customer as quickly as possible you don't want to leave it three days to you call them back it, it may be you want to put that into a call queue so that's a bit of salesforce workflow and processing and some of our side so that's something where often partners can add value to the customer and it creates salesforce configuration work for our workflow to enable what the customer wants to do and they can now do it because we've provided them extra salesforce functionality so the salesforce expertise that a salesforce partner has suddenly gets extended because they have process calls available to them that weren't there before that are telephony calls instigate a this call into a call queue so that it goes into the queue call queue the call sorry the queue for the users and that can be instigated from Salesforce. So the Salesforce implementation partner now has access to provision a lot of other things they couldn't before because the telephony was outside the platform. So we work closely with them and, and, and the game for the customer is which part sits with Natabox correctly and which bit sits within Salesforce and let's do, do the appropriate bit where the expertise lies. So I'm gonna ask you two questions that I often ask people when I'm hiring. So this is some variation of that. Sure. Uh, so first, what do, you, what do you think is a channel program or a campaign that you've done that you would think of as especially successful? And it, it could be before Natterbox. It could be at another company. One, sure. one that you're especially proud of. So I'd suggest one would be recruiting new, it was recruiting new partners. So engaging with a partner rather than sell through to the customer. And it was an educational campaign. So what we did and around cloud. So exactly what we're talking about. We built a campaign which was uh, to add value to customers of training them and giving them insight into what you, is, is involved. How do you encompass cloud technology into your business in a successful manner? And, and we put and, and the tagline around it was something like as many years ago, ev ev everything you wanted to know about selling cloud but were afraid to ask um, okay and we involved in that speakers like so we made it a very educational piece it wasn't pitchy about our product at all and that was I think the value we guaranteed do you're not going to come along and it's going to be totally centered around our product this is going to be here's the commission plan here's the emotive piece here's the differences you're going to get from your customer and the value and how they're going to perceive you and and we also had the, the customer I spoke about speak around having an external speaker around this whether it be a Gartner or an analyst speaker or a reseller who's gone through it so what we positioned was absolute value to you and we've packed rooms with that and we ran that across Europe so I, I remember being in Holland in the Nordics in the UK and delivering the same piece but it was a robust piece of education and true value that you're going to go away with genuinely things you've learned and ideas that no one else has shared with you because everyone's telling you about product and we didn't mention it apart from our logo on the screen we didn't we guaranteed them we will not try and pitch our product or this is only works with us this is generic true educational value for you and we packed the room with um, CEOs and MDs of partners lapping up value because we we truly were investing in their business for the future and that's that great, really really well that's a great example that's a great program so now what's a program or a campaign that wasn't successful 
that you did in the past that didn't perform as well as you had hoped or expected? And, and why do you think that was? Sure. And I, and I think that would be a sell through campaign again in cloud where we thought just putting together something slick of clouds, you know, and this was the old days, right? So we've learned better now, but what was going on then were, and I'm hopefully people aren't doing this today was clouds going to save you money. Cloud's going to make you more fit. It was all the headlines that everyone was 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 spouting, right? Cloud is just going to save the world for you uh, generically. And it's going to save the world for all of you generically. And it's not the case, right? Uh, and I, I, I learned that in the early days of selling cloud and how I'd position it now is cloud technology has a great many advantages for different customers and they will vary from customer to customer. And they, but a cloud technology will not be right for everyone every time in every scenario. So, you know, Natabox, for example, in a certain scenarios where customers are looking for certain values, outcomes that I've described, improving your agent efficiency, these sort of things, we will do a fantastic job for a Salesforce customer. If all you're looking for is a cloud telephony system that just dial, you can just dial the phone. And you don't see value in Salesforce integration. You don't see value in all this stuff. We're not right for you, right? So no cloud solution, no matter what it is, whether it be hosted applications, whether it be a, a replatform, whatever, is right for every business. There's no one size fits all in cloud, the same as it wasn't with old product. And I think there's been too much of that going on in cloud, that cloud is a behemoth solution to all your woes, will fix your business. Cloud is a technology that aligns with people and process. Digital transformation yeah. has great value and we're seeing <laughs> radical changes with customers, but it is not easy. It is not a flick a switch, buy a cloud solution, and suddenly your your shortage of leads in your business is fixed. Buy a cloud MarTech solution and it fixes everything overnight. No, it doesn't. It, it gives you a more efficient way. It will give you new functions you perhaps didn't have. It will enable you to do things quicker and faster and more agile, but you still need the people and the processes aligned to that. And you need to understand too many people have bought cloud and it was marketed. And that's one of the mistakes we I'd seen done based on just buy some cloud and then look what it will do for you. It, okay. it, is, it is an enabler, but it doesn't solve it out of the box. And, and you've got to really realize that. All right. Good example. Don't oversell. What should I have asked you that I didn't? What keeps you up at night? <laughs> That's a real good question. Well, in channel, I, I, I'll, I'll put the hard question out there then and I'll, then I'll give you my opinion. So the question I would pose would be, are we going to see an increasing shift from channel sales to direct selling by traditional vendors? So I, I had Jay McBain from Forrester on the podcast. I know. I know, Jay. And he said, yeah, he expected there to yeah. be that the channel would be less than it is now. But I don't know that it, it certainly wasn't going away. And, and he certainly wasn't. I don't know if he was even saying that it was going to be uh, a minority of sales, but he, they are predicting the channel will decrease as a proportion of tech sales. And, and I'm going to be given an aggressive opinion on this. So why did I move out of channel? Right. So I got into cloud, into cloud technology and I was in doing channel for channel cloud for the first five or six years. And then the next six years or so i've done two roles where it's been direct selling cloud and it isn't because i saw it's absolutely dead but i saw it's going to get harder and harder because lots of technologies in cloud are selling direct 
Salesforce is, is the easiest example, as I've already cited, right? It is a direct selling cloud organization, which is one of the most successful on the planet, one of the biggest software companies on the planet now. And they do it all directly and it works. Other companies in the industry, abs- do you think they don't look at that and, comp- and compare, right? And, the, and contrast. I also work with a number of other massive vendors and without breaking names of confidence, understand the conversations they're having and internally. And what they've seen and they're seeing is a lot of the partners they're now working with, now they're more cloud, are not the same traditional partners they worked with on products. So as a reseller or a VAR, you need to consider is is it going to switch or are they going to switch to different types of partners with different value propositions that you won't be as important to them as you were historically? That, that's, so, that's, that's another dynamic on it. it. It may not be they they switch off the channel, but they switch to a different channel. So, uh, you know, I, uh, your Salesforce example is great. On the other hand, I recently interviewed Alyssa Fitzpatrick, the general manager for channel sales at Microsoft, mm-hmm. and they are heavily, heavily channel. They, they are. Always, they always uh, have been. Uh, I've got and, an opinion. I think, I'm, but look at the margins and, and the conversations that have come out, though. When they when they shifted to channel, channel cloud, and I, I'd say they've done an incredible job of that. They've done the, one of the best jobs I've seen of shifting their whole business across. But it was hard and they invested and they focused on it and they committed to it. But they, from the start, put lower margins on their products that were in the cloud and lower margins on the annuity stream for the channel. And there was a lot of complaints about it. Right. So, so And that was very public. So number one is they changed some stuff of how they do it. I would argue that some of their channel partners are different than they were. My predi- my thought, though, and, and I'm open, to, I'm going to put a bold statement out there. I'm watching for the day that Microsoft starts billing directly and starts offering customers. And there's been mut- mutations of that recently that they might. But, uh, you know, I'm watching for when are we going to see a company like Microsoft offer up customers can now renew directly because once you're on the cloud, it's very easy to renew a renew a transaction through a, a web through a portal. You're on it. You're using it. Where's the va- what's the ongoing value that I'm getting for paying a margin to the channel? Remember, I'm a channel person. right? I get it. But but that question's there. And it's in a lot of vendors. And I've sat in Chatham House rules and a lot of major discussion rooms with a lot of big brand vendors where they're discussing that. Maybe it's not happening now, but it but it's in their agenda of should we? What would happen? What would the impact be? Because straight away, if, if pick a number, I'm not gonna say number, but the margin they're giving their channel would come straight into their revenue stream, overnight growth of a big number. But it's a risky strategy if you still need the channel. But <clears> don't <throat> don't don't negate that those conversations are going on. Channels need to continue to demonstrate the value they're giving to the channel above them because those conversations are going on. I've been in the rooms and listened to the vendors' conversations. Yeah, well, I'm sure they are. It, it, it's going to be, as always, uh, an interesting, dynamic, fluid uh, time in technology, and it always has been, always will mm. be. You know, some of the other people on the podcast are 100% channel companies, and for them, pretty much everybody I've talked to has said that the channel has uh, better margins and is more cost-effective for them than direct sales has been. Okay. But good, uh, good. And they also may find it especially useful for companies that are primarily focused on SMB because there's so many companies. The yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I agree. That the, uh, you know, only the largest companies could really try to sell directly 
to that kind of market. But we will see. We will. Um, so, Ian, how can people contact you? Sure, Louis, thank you for that. Yep, sure. So, two easy routes. If you go to ianmoyce.co.uk or ianmoyce.cloud, they will take you to my two key social accounts where you can reach me. Oh, okay. I'll put those into the show notes at revenueassociates.biz. So thank you for joining us today, Ian. I thank will you. Be, Pleasure. I will be sending you a copy of my Bullseye Marketing book, as I do all guests in appreciation. Thank you. Thank you. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or another app, and you found the podcast interesting and useful, please leave a review. That will help other people learn about the podcast, too. Thank you for listening to the Software Channel Partner Podcast, and please subscribe and listen to future episodes.